G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear it or some students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Now today I'd like to introduce you to Hannah Hunter who is doing a PhD in human geography under the supervision of Dr Laura Jean Cameron. Welcome to Grad Chat Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. It is great to have you and I know everyone's going to be very excited about the show today. So so your research topic is about listening to the sounds of extinct birds. Can you give us an overview of what that means in relation to human geography? Uh, well, that's the eternal question. <laughs> but I'll, I'll start with with this, the sounds of extinct birds and I guess what that means. So until very recently, the only ways that we could encounter or meet an extinct species was through a taxidermy specimen or a photograph, which is also more recent, or stories by naturalists and things like that. But because of the very high rate of species extinction recently, as well as the advances in recording technology, we now have sound recordings of extinct birds, which is simultaneously amazing that we can listen to them, but also obviously tragic because it means that they have these extinctions happened really recently. Right. Uh, that's where I started. Now, how that relates to human geography. <laughs> human geography <laughs> is thankfully a very generous discipline. It's very interdisciplinary in that one thing that my supervisor said to me once was that geography is a discipline where the question of place matters. So okay. as long as you're thinking about place or space, and that can be physical places or maybe cultural spaces and things like that then it can be geography so and there are lots of people in human geography who think about animals and human animal relationships particularly and how animals use spaces and where we encounter animals and things like that so yes you're right it is very broad isn't it (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I I'm going to ask you a question, if you don't mind, before we go into more of your the work that you're doing. Yeah. So you're from the UK. Yes. And I guess I guess that, and I should never make assumptions, purely from the <laughs> accent. <laughs> don't worry, the people say I've got an accent too, and I don't, don't understand that either. So what made you come to Canada to do this work? Because, I mean, there's lots of extinct species and things I would imagine you could look at and how in relation to human geography in the UK. I had a childhood dream of moving to Canada and coming to Queen's. Well, there you go. Don't you love it? (laughs) And you guess what, everyone? I didn't even pay you to say that at all. (laughs) Um, No, it's actually... It's a bit of an embarrassing story, but I'll tell I'll tell it. Um, my, my family came on a holiday to Canada when I was 11 um, and we came to Kingston and I thought it was the most amazing place in the world. And I wrote this diary entry oh, <laughs> about how when I grow up, I want to come to Queen's. And so for my undergrad and master's, that wasn't possible because it's very expensive to come to Canada as, a, as an international student. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then when I was looking for, I wanted to go abroad for my PhD, just 
for a change of scene. And yeah, and everything aligned. I found a great supervisor at Queen's and she, her research, Laura's research is in sound and, and animal right. sounds and things like that too. So, Well, we're very lucky to have you. And I just love that. I can just see the little diary up there. Yay! I know, one day, one day, I know, I should tell people at Queen's this more. It's just it's a picture of me in 19 whatever no it's probably 2000 and something for you but uh, <laughs> of where it is and now look at me here yeah. I am that's, that's a fantastic I'm really glad I asked that question I wasn't expecting that answer at all so that's fantastic so so let's get into your work anyway mm-hmm. so you're looking at the relationship between how hearing the sound of ex- extinct birds in this particular room can impact yeah. us and things and what we feel. So what what bird have you actually chosen to look at? Well, the main bird I'm looking at is the ivory-billed woodpecker, which is uh, maybe extinct, maybe not. Oh, species. I like that. Yes, yeah, we're not there's sure. a whole story there um, that we can get into. But it was or is the largest species of woodpecker in, in the USA. And it found in the, the southern swamps. And also one of the first wild birds to ever be recorded. So it's one of the earliest bird sound recordings that we have. So that's why, yeah. Well, it's because I I did what I usually do. I Googled it (laughs) just to see what I could find out about Mm -hmm. it. And it's interesting, as you said, because uh, first of all, you said we think it's extinct, but it may not be because Mm -hmm. if I heard under, uh, if I read this correctly, they thought they might have seen it in Arkansas in 2004. Yeah, so there's a very, very disputed and heated history around the Ivory Bell. There's actually an article I wrote in the Queen's Gazette about this recently, but no one wants to read about it further. <laughs> so it hasn't been conclusively scientifically seen, as they say, since right. 1944. But there have been loads and loads of of sightings, maybe sightings, maybe recordings, blurry pictures, blurry videos and everything since then. The most high profile of which was in 2004, 2005 in Arkansas. But there are still people who I'm interviewing for my research now who, you know, claim to have seen it last week. Is that right? It's very... elusive. Yeah. So it's... And then, but at the same time, the US government have recently tried to officially declare it extinct. Yeah, right now there's a lot of conversation happening around. So, around so what what made it potentially extinct in the first place? Just down south in the in the southern states. Yeah, so mostly deforestation after um, the American Civil War. They actually had prisoners of war during World War Two from Germany were taken there to chop trees down, um, oh, and right. these like hardwood forests, which are thought to be. I mean, there's a lot that people we don't know about the ivory woodpecker, um, right. but they're thought to be where they live. And then also hunting by museums and natural history oh. collectors. Really? Uh, that was a big thing in the 1800s, people wanting to get the skins so that they could display them and sell them to other museums and things like that. So, yeah, those are the two. And there's lots of, lots of reasons. Because it's interesting, when I looked at the picture of it, it looks like some of the woodpeckers around here, but clearly mm-hmm. it's not. Because <laughs> it's, it's a little, little bigger. Little red crest and, yeah. and what have you. And I'm going, oh, I think I've seen that one too. <laughs> it's a it's predator. It's been here this whole time. <laughs> well, so this is a big problem because they superficially look quite a lot like an pileated woodpecker, which are common here um, and throughout the US. But they are much, much bigger. And also they're they're plumage is quite different but yeah there's a lot of people who say that they've seen one but they've actually seen a pileated woodpecker so 
Okay, yeah. so I guess that gives us a bit of an a bit of an idea. Mm-hmm. So, so let's get to some of the questions that I'd love to pose. I mean, because I'm still fascinated about the extinct part and then the human yeah. part of, mm-hmm. of of what we're trying to do here. Well, first of all, what are you trying to do by listening to recordings of an extinct species? So especially how it fits in with the ivory bill woodpecker. So that's like one of the case studies I'm using and the one I'm thinking about at the moment. So my argument that I'm going for is that this sound recording of an ivory bill woodpecker, which was taken in 1935, has fundamentally changed the extinction of this bird and and what's happening and how we experience it. And so what I mean by that is that this recording has been so fundamental in these searches that people have done for the birds. So they'll do things like take their phones into the forest and play this 1935 sound recording with the hope that they'll be able to locate the birds that are still there. And get another one to, to respond to it. Yeah, yeah. And as well, they've been... You know, every time someone gets a recording, they compare it to this 1935 recording. And there's just this feeling that it's a really big part of the science, but also it kind of keeps the bird alive in people's imaginations because we're not we're not used to hearing extinct birds and something about being able to hear them makes us think, well, if I can hear it, then surely it can't really be gone because, you know, sound is recorded sound is this kind of new thing. So it feels like less of a relic of the past than for example, I don't know, the dodo or even the passenger pigeon, which went extinct more recently, but we don't have a sound recording for. Really? Yeah, yeah. They went extinct, I think, in 1914, 1919. And that was before portable sound recording was a thing. Right, um, right. Yeah. And so so I think you've alluded to this in just your answer then, is that, Mm -hmm. is it, like you said, a way of the human seeing this or hearing it thinking well like you said if I can hear it then maybe it is still alive so it's this sort of trek to to prove now it is still alive perhaps as opposed to as you said reading in a book mm-hmm. it is just in a book and it's just a piece of paper it's it's not as real as like you said the, the live recording the same would be I would say as if it was a video if someone had captured yeah. a video of it and I know I'm going to use the example of the Tasmanian um, tiger. Right, yeah. That the last sighting of that was in the 50s, 1950s. Mm-hmm. But still, there's still people who think it's still alive, but further in into the, the bush of, of Tasmania, which so much of Tasmania has not been explored because it's too yeah. dense. Mm-hmm. So is this is it this intrigue of, well, if we've got the recording, whether we can hear it or see it on a recording, there's more chances it's potentially there. So let's go and find it. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of similarities between the Tasmanian tiger and the Arab woodpecker, actually, like landscape-wise as well, and the kinds of people who are looking for it. But there are videos of the ivory bill as well. But I think the difference with the sound is that you can, it's not just kind of this piece of evidence, this representation, but it's also a tool because you can take it and use it to try and find the bird and to communicate. Good point. I mean, I guess I'm still trying to figure it out exactly what it is <laughs> to listen to because it, obviously most people who listen to this extinct bird aren't, or maybe extinct bird. I would be more inclined to say it's probably not extinct, but anyway, most people listening aren't then saying, I'm going to go and look for this bird. I'm listening to it so it can't be extinct and so I've got to go. But I think it also just is interesting 
there's been a lot of work about you know taxidermy animals and what it means to have this physical body of an animal and you know how we relate to that and I'm kind of trying to figure out how sound is is different from that how it makes it different but what what if I'm sorry I'm probably going off on a tangent I'm not sure (laughs) but what if if you've got a recording of a bird Mm -hmm. which for instance the dodo which we know is extinct Mm mm-hmm are, are you comparing between a recording of, 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 say, a bird that you know is absolutely extinct as opposed to this woodpecker, which may not be extinct, but people yeah. think it's extinct? So there's a there's a subtle difference, isn't there, from mm-hmm. one knowing it absolutely is and it's just hearing this thing, it's a shame it's gone, to yeah. hearing this thing think, well, it could still be out there, let's go and find it. Right. One thing is that because bird sound recording and wild sound recording wasn't available until like the 1920s, 1930s, all of the birds that we have sound recordings for are so newly extinct that it's really hard to say with clarity that any of them are like, definitely. But I guess you could always say that, you know, we don't really, you know, there's, there could be dodos hiding in a forest somewhere that we've never been to, you know, we don't, we don't know everything. Um, well, that would be nice, except that that's <laughs> gone with the way of the dodo will not work yeah. anymore. <laughs> so. um, but there is a, a bird called the Kauai O'o, which is a um, Hawaiian bird species. And that we have a sound recording for them as well. And they have recently been declared extinct too. And that's a really famous sound recording because it's it was taken of one of the last kawaii o'o's to ever exist. And it's a male singing one part of a duet and the other half of the duet is never responded. Oh, so no. it's this kind of really sad, melancholy recording of kind of the last kawaii o'o oh that is sad yeah that that one's very easy to find on youtube as well i think a lot of people were sharing that because i think it struck a chord with a lot of people and Um, and then so what are you hoping to do with these with whatever you you discover i mean these recordings obviously mean something to people Mm -hmm. what are you trying to prove how people react to it knowing that this particular bird could be extinct or are you just showing that humans have different ways of showing their emotions to a recording like this? What, what are you What are you trying to do there? Yeah, I think I'm mainly trying to understand how it changes how we think about extinction and, and extinct animals. So, yeah, it's partly how we feel. Like, does it make us sad? Does it make us, you know, want to mourn these species? Or maybe it might make us feel like we want to stop further extinctions and kind of motivate action in that way I'm quite quite the early stages of it so I think I'm still trying to figure it out but I just think there's something so interesting that we have these recordings and that must mean something for kind of human animal relationships and and human relationships with extinct beings and kind of how we can honor those species lives and what they mean to our society. Well, I mean, and I think it's really, really important too, because I mean, look at, I'm going to use home again, back home mm-hmm. with the bushfires we had, you know, summer 2019 called Black Summer, where mm-hmm. we lost, they feel, they think they've lost a lot of species during that Black Summer, right. which would be frightening. But of course, it, like you said, if we've got these recordings, we could go out to see if any, any other, for instance, birds, because they do often respond to each other is another one going to respond to that particular recording? So I think that's that's actually quite fascinating sort mm. of to help us. So what are some of the, the current debates around the, this particular woodpecker, the ivory-billed woodpecker? And so 
I mean, you've kind of alluded to this too. Why yeah. is it important? As in why the bird itself is important? Well, I think a, a bit of both. But let's start yeah. off with the bird. Okay. This the, the ivory woodpecker is such a, this holy grail, and it always has been this holy grail of the birding community. Oh, is it? Um, okay. For some reason, it's really captured the imagination of people, like back from... You know, everyone knows about Audubon, like, because Audubon Society is this really famous naturalist. And he was uh, just enamored with the ivory bill woodpecker. And so were all of these U.S. presidents like Teddy Roosevelt. And there were all these, for some reason, this bird just really captured people because it's really large and it's always been quite rare. And it has this really striking plumage. So you say it's large. How big? It can be like two foot. It's oh, quite, really? Yeah. Oh, that is large. Oh my gosh, I hope that's right. <laughs> it's just significant. It's very different to the ones I see out here. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've never seen one. I want to say two foot, but I'll let you know if that's wrong. I think about the stands, not what they look like. So I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're very big. Or maybe that's their wingspan. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and they have this really striking, like, long ivory colored bill mm-hmm. which is where the ivory bill comes from and they have these really interesting sounds which has always been one of the things that really drew people to them I mean hopefully we're able to play some but but people say they sound like someone blowing through the the mouthpiece of a clarinet or oh, like right. a children's trumpet like a toy trumpet yeah I don't know before I started this project I hadn't really thought about the sounds woodpeckers make other than like drumming <laughs> with their beaks yeah so like really... the beaks <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought very much about like their vocalizations but yeah and I think because of of all of these various reasons they've kind of they became this emblem of the south and the southern wildlife right. and the south in the U.S. has not generally been at the forefront of conservation movements in the country so often like the west coast places like Yosemite and Yellowstone and these kind of huge grand landscapes were kind of always at the ones that were being protected and the one that all the money was going into and things like that. Whereas the South was, you know, for various political reasons and historical reasons, just not not protected until a lot later. And I know from talking to people that one of the hopes is that if they can prove the existence of this bird and put it back on the endangered species list, then its habitats can be much more protected protected which Um, is really important yeah and because of the way it works in in u.s conservation policy is that the 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 animal is protected in order to protect the habitats rather than the habitat being protected in order to protect the bird it's like kind of complicated but it's really important (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's interesting i mean how how are you looking at this are you going to talk to people down south are you going to take your own little recordings and see if you can find some and see see what it feels or are you just going to show the recordings to or let people hear the recordings and get their reactions from it right well if in an ideal non-pandemic world I would be going yes. down to Louisiana myself but no I mean really with the with the ivory bill the main question I have is how has this sound recording kind of affected its extinction and its place in our culture and so in order to kind of answer answer that question I've been talking to a lot of ivory bill hunters as they're called like the people who are searching for the bird but yeah I should say so I'm doing a manuscript thesis so this the reason it might sound like I'm doing a few different things is because I am doing a few different things (laughs) Um, and so (laughs) and so 
that's kind of one thing. And then there'll also be after that, more kind of exploration into how people in general, like museum goers and, and, and things like that, react to bird sounds um and how right. it changes their relationship with this animal so, so yeah. you mentioned that some of these woodpeckers unfortunately have been stuffed sorry mm-hmm. what's the co- word called <laughs> stuffed <laughs> mounted kill yeah yes they're oxydermy yeah. you know when they're dead and they preserve them so yeah. that people can see it so when you talked about museums and things like natural history museums are you hoping that some museums have not just the bird itself there, but the recording behind it to then hear people's reactions of if they just got the bird, just saw the bird without the recordings, whether the reactions would be different? I mean, in general, museum, natural history museums are very what we call ocular centric. So visual, visual places, you know, you go and you, right. you look at things. And increasingly in, in national museums and in natural history museums, they're kind of bringing in sound recordings a bit more, but it really isn't like a ubiquitous practice. Right. I mean, I went to Natural History Museum in London this summer and they have this gallery of endangered birds and, and there weren't any sounds. It was just it was just the 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 stuffed specimens. But and those of course have value too, and I'm not really saying that sound is more important than that. But there have been a lot of or, or several artists who have kind of created these these sonic displays of endangered birds. Right, right. Or art galleries, which I find really compelling. Yes. So. <laughs> but it seems like there's lots of different ways that people can potentially go and hear the sounds of these birds, for instance, mm-hmm. whether it's through a mu- some sort of museum or you go Online. down and... Yeah. yeah so so where are some other places because i'm i'm sure there's right. as you said there's a lot of other birds that potentially well people think they're extinct but maybe they're not mm-hmm. that yeah. we could get people listening to some of these and go well i think that might be around here and then get someone in because i actually remember yeah. in kingston it was a couple of years ago in kingston i got this little flyer in the in my mailbox saying we're looking for to to see if the neighborhood has seen it was a woodpecker, not this really? one, of course, but it was a woodpecker. Have, has mm-hmm. anyone spotted this? And if so, please let us know because we're trying to see if, this, if, if they are actually still in the area and so yeah. that they can map it. And, yeah. of course, I forgot which one it was. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it could be a similar thing, right? You know, if, if these recordings get out more, we know roughly the kind of habitat they should be in. Yeah. You know, maybe they are somewhere and so people can start looking to help the scientists yeah and I think I should clarify as well I think that is part of it but I also think just in general for people to be able to hear the sound of an extinct bird I just think is quite powerful mm-hmm. and maybe might make people reflect on you know the loss of that species and conservation yeah. and well all of the birds that we have sound recordings for their deaths were like humans are responsible for those right yeah so the, um, taking their habitat away yeah, so I think the, the 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 kind of searching for them and and playing their sounds in the forest is is like a very small minority oh, of yeah. people who will do that. And I think, but I think they're important anyway. But having said that, there is a website 
which bird lovers will be very familiar with, called the Macaulay Library. And it's part of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And um, on there, it's this huge digital archive of bird sounds. So any bird that you can think of really across the world, they probably have a sound recording for. So, and and you're You're going down there, aren't you? I am, yes. Yes. How very oh, exciting. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you finally get a field trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, luckily you don't have to go to listen to them, but yeah. Um, yeah, true. So, well, so on this, on their website, they have both archive recordings. So ones from as far back as the early 1900s to like, I could record a pigeon out of my window right now and I could upload oh, right. that to the website oh so. is it right okay <laughs> it's kind of a citizen science project but yeah I think it's fun because you're able to listen to birds not just extinct birds but ones that are really far away that you're never going to be able to listen to or meet in person and it's just kind of I guess a cool way of of, of interacting with nature is that why you wanted to get into this to see mm-hmm. how humans interact with nature yeah, that's pretty much the core of it. Yeah. <laughs> human animal relationships, human nature relationships. I mean, my main, you know, obviously we we all know that we have these terrible ecological problems. Mm-hmm. And my belief and, and a lot of people kind of in my subfields belief is really at the core of that is a problem of human nature relationships. You know, this right. this idea that humans and nature are separate and that kind of one is higher than the other and and that leads to exploitation and kind of feelings that, you know, even though all these terrible things are happening outside, we can still get along, get on with our things inside um, as if right. those things aren't connected. And kind of the study of human nature relationships is partly to kind of figure out how to reconcile those two things. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe listening, being able to listen to animals is one way that that we can maybe reconcile. I mean, it's obviously a very small part of it, but it I think that's kind of the, yeah, that's like at the core of the reason that yeah, I'm sorry. But I, but I think it's interesting too. And I said this uh, halfway through the pandemic that because we weren't able to go traveling in the same way, and we weren't getting in the cars the same way, and and because we weren't allowed to be, meet lots of other people except for the people in your household, so people are actually walking to places mm-hmm. as families and things. And I was always amazed how much the nature around, because we didn't have all the man-made stuff going on came back right you know and and came back so I was seeing more animals in the little woods next to me or hearing different birds well I think there were different birds but I was hearing more birds right Mm -hmm. some of the birds I think I could have done without they're a bit squawky but but you're hearing different things and Mm -hmm. you know and I was saying if nothing else the pandemic has allowed nature to come back yeah to work to the places some of the places that we took over which is right. which is interesting yeah and even I mean even make us pay attention more to the ones that were already there you know especially Correct. especially with sound a big problem for urban birds for instance is the sounds of traffic and the sounds of aircraft and it it really impacts their health um, and ability right. to communicate with each other and our ability to listen to them so with the kind of absence of those sounds then suddenly this whole kind of sound world was was open to us it it leads to a lot of different questions for you for for your work and I know you're concentrating more on the extinct bird Mm -hmm. or possibly extinct birds with the recordings and how that relates to us as humans or how we relate to that hearing that recording I Mm -hmm. should say so so that's really good so I know you also are a holder of a vanier 
Yes. So congratulations yes. on that. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I've, I've uh, interviewed a couple of you who have won this uh, uh, scholarship for this year or mm-hmm. next three years, really. So yeah. what does that mean to you? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely life changing. I mean, I guess I know mentioned this earlier as an international student. Being an international student is expensive and, and there are very, very few scholarships that are open to international students. So Vanier is really one of the only ones that we can apply for. And it really felt like something I would never in a million years get. <laughs> so really much like the shock of the, century, of the century. You know, beforehand I was having to, you know, I was a TA, I was an RA, I had another part-time job. And so I hardly had any time for my own research and that was really stressful and it wasn't what I came here for. So yeah, I don't, it's just been, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. It's always nice to have a bit of extra cash in your pocket to sort of help Mm, you get through. And also perhaps if you get a chance to do any field trips to help pay for some of that too, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so that's really good. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I want to talk to you about, you guys do lots of things. You're in geography, but you're also working with the, you know, you volunteer as you're on the Geography Grad Student Council, Mm -hmm. you volunteer Union Gallery and for for those people who don't know, it's the, the second uh, gallery that we have on campus. Of course, our main one is the Agnes, but the Union Gallery is more run by students. Mm-hmm. So um, that's great because I was, I'm was i always intrigued about what the students themselves put together in, mm-hmm. in the Union Gallery. So what made you want to get into the Union Gallery? Is it because of this fascination with the physical, the physical looking of things or... Um, yeah, I guess partly that. But um, I mean, another one of my interests within my PhD is about art and nature and art. And so I mentioned the artists who've used sound recordings in their works and things like that. And there's a kind of big field of geography and art. And I think, yeah, it's just fun to be a part of it, honestly, like, because I have this great honour of having the Vanier, I don't have to TA or anything anymore so I don't actually get as much interaction at, right. on campus so it was also just a fun way of of having something something kind Doing of something interactive else. to do and it's such a great space there's always so much going on there and it's completely free for people to come and hang out in there so yeah every, anyone who's listening come to the Union Gallery <laughs> it's <a> great place <laughs> great no that, that's awesome and I'm glad to see that you're also not only a keen reader and runner but you are a birder yeah. <laughs> so, yes I do indeed like birds the secret's out <laughs> <laughs> yeah the secret's definitely out on that one for sure we've had a few students of our grad students not necessarily in geography or environmental studies or even biology who I know are birders and mm-hmm. um, every now and then sometimes they go I found another one, Colette, and it ticked it off on the, on the sheet of things that they were doing, particularly going up to, you know, our biology stations, which if you mm-hmm. haven't gone there, you should get go up and see those. They're a lot of fun going up there and listening to nature. Brilliant. Hannah, thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for joining me today and, and sharing us with, with your your work that you're doing, which isn't an easy one to sort of put in one little place. I like <laughs> I got to get better at that. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, you're doing lots of different things as you're mm-hmm. going along. So um, mm. I think that's fascinating and it must be 
more exciting for you too so you can sort of break things up a little bit of doing some bit on this and a little bit of work on that bit and then coming together which is not an easy thing particularly trying to find the the exact wording for what is your topic Mm -hmm. kind of thing or what is your thesis going to look like etc etc so uh, (laughs) we'll figure that out at some point (laughs) (laughs) is that one of those things that you do right at the end you write it all first and then you come up with the heading yeah something something like that anyway so best of luck with all of that and again thank Thank you very much for coming on the show i really appreciate it and if i if i don't talk to you again happy holidays as they say yes happy holidays Thank you. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. And from all of us here from the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC and the the show, we really do wish you all a very um, happy holidays in whichever way you celebrate that time off together. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.